This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Please visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you'd like to contact me for any reason, then please click on that contact icon on the website. You can listen to the show by going to our website and click on the archives link at the top of the page. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes, where you can download all episodes to date. Please leave a comment on iTunes and rate five stars if you enjoy the show and to show your support. That would be greatly appreciated. Find us on social media at facebook.com forward slash Australian Hunting Podcast. You can also follow our Twitter feed at twitter.com forward slash AH Podcast. And also, if you enjoy watching videos, then please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com forward slash Aussie Feral Control. Alternatively, you can find all the social media links on the website. If you want to be part of the Australian Hunting Podcast, then please leave us a voicemail by clicking on the voicemail icon on the right-hand side of the website. This gives you an opportunity to be part of the show, and we will play your voicemail message on our next Straight Shooting Podcast. Donations are always graciously accepted, and you can click on the Donate button on the website. I appreciate all people who listen and donate to the show. Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family and get as many people into hunting, shooting and fishing as you possibly can. My name is Jason Selms and without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting, and fishing radio here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Very excited to have one of my guests today, Gary Breitkreitz. Uh, Gary is a Member of Parliament in Canada for the Yorkton-Melville area in the province of Saskatchewan, and uh, we're very respectful to have his time today. Uh, it's my second Canadian interview, and um, my first international Member of Parliament. So, Gary, thank you and welcome to AHP. Thank you for joining me. Well, it's really good to be with you, Jason. It's an honor, in fact, to be asked to uh, be on your podcast. No worries. Thank you very much. Uh, Gary, first off, I just want to tell us about yourself, I guess, you know, where you grew up for people that don't know who you are. Tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, well, uh, I was uh, born in Saskatchewan, which is a central western province in Saskatchewan, in uh, Canada. Uh, raised on a farm, uh, went to university, graduated uh, as a maths and chemistry teacher, and I was a teacher for almost 25 years. Uh, worked in uh, missions work in Cameroon for three years, teaching maths and chemistry there. And uh, in 88 and 89 in the Solomon Islands, I was elected to uh, the Canadian Parliament in Ottawa in 1993. Uh, that was our reluctant uh, move on my part. I did not ever plan to be in politics. It was dirty business, but people <laughs> uh, came around me and, and surrounded me and, and encouraged me to run. They had watched me work in my community and uh, felt I might be a good member of parliament. There was a new party called the Reform Party that had started. And so that was the beginning of a 22-year career. I will be uh, retiring in October and uh, so my, my uh, time in Parliament was uh, really very interesting. I was chair of the Public Safety Committee for five years. That committee is in charge of the police, prisons, border security, and firearms issues. I also served in many other committees, Agriculture Committee. And personally, I'm married. I have four children. Uh, they're all married now, and uh, we have 12 grandchildren. Wow. 
uh, hobbies, let's see, I enjoy whitetail hunting, and I have hunted Canada geese as well. Yep. I do a fair amount of fishing. Oh, uh, something else I should mention. I, I was the chair and founder of the Outdoors Caucus in Ottawa, which is a nonpartisan, uh, all, all political parties are part of it, and it promotes hunting, trapping, fishing, and sport shooting in Canada. And uh, I have put people in place to have it uh, continue after I retire on October 19th. Nice. Is there a, is there, do you think in Canada there's a, a, a rich hunting and shooting culture? Do you think there's a, a good culture of gun owners in Canada across the country? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we, hunting is, is uh, really one of the main uh, sports, especially in rural uh, parts of Canada. It's a very large country, uh, all uh, kinds of wildlife from coast to coast. Uh, so there, there really is a lot of interest in it. And it's not just uh, people in the rural areas that are interested in it. You, like you have a lot of gun owners in Toronto, uh, which is our largest city, and all the other cities, a lot of shooting clubs. Uh, there's really, really a lot of interest in uh, these kind of sports. Yeah, absolutely. And what about when you were growing up, uh, Gary? Was there, you know, in, in Saskatchewan, was that, you know, you said you grew up on a farm. Was was firearms, you know, ownership just, just part of that? Was it a normal thing, you know, when you were growing up on those farms? Oh, yes. I, I, I uh, had a 30-30 wow. Uh, yeah. Or uh, whitetail hunting. Uh, I started hunting. Oh, I, I can't remember. I think my father took me at about age nine or ten. I didn't carry a gun until I was fifteen or sixteen, uh, when I was old enough to get a license. And uh, oh, we we uh, we did a lot of hunting. Uh, it was just a tool. I mean, we we didn't even think much of it. Uh, it was often in the back window of our uh, pickup truck. Uh, you know, it was just something you you grew up with. It was well respected. You uh, you were taught the, the safe handling of it as you grew up. So yeah, no, it was a it was a tool tool that was used for everything from hunting to getting rid of skunks and coyotes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and what about uh, your family when you were growing up, uh, Gary? Was it just purely just for you know using on the farm? Was any of your family members, uncles, aunties, friends, family, were they hunters as well? And what about your kids now? Have they gotten into any type of firearms uh, usage for sport shooting or hunting? Yeah, well, some of my uh, some of my brothers, all of my brothers enjoy hunting. Uh, some of my uncles did. Uh, there was hunters throughout the family. Our children enjoyed hunting. They loved to get out in the wilderness, and I recommend it as one of the best things to get young people away from their uh, video games and stuff. Uh, we have three daughters. They would love to come out in the bush. They they didn't always want to carry a gun, but they wanted to come out hunting, and they thoroughly enjoyed getting out in the woods and uh, just being part of the hunt. Uh, we have one son, and he is really big into hunting uh, and shooting as well. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, I'm guessing now, coming up towards sort of you know, this time in your life, you are a firearms owner now. You own a firearm? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, and uh, I hope to have more hunting time when I uh, retire. <laughs> yeah. uh, they always say, Gary, when you go into politics, there's not much time for anything else, don't they? Oh, it's it's really can be all consuming, and if you want to get involved in the issues like I did, if, I mean, firearms wasn't the only thing that I got involved in. It was maybe ten percent of my time, but I just kept uh, like a bulldog pursuing it. But if you want to get involved in politics, oh my goodness, there is so much to do. Uh, people look up to you to to try to carry out issues. Uh, sometimes politicians are reluctant to get uh, into issues in depth but uh, i have and it's been very very rewarding absolutely okay well what's one of uh one of uh, gary's favorite guns that he owns what's one of his favorite one of his top of his list i i like my 270 oh yeah uh, yep I, my 270 is very versatile uh it's you know it uh it gets the job done. Yep. <laughs> I enjoy it very, very much. <laughs> My friend, I've got a very good friend who I do a lot of hunting with, Anthony, and he just loves his 270. I keep telling him to get a, you know, a 308 or a 306, and he just, he just loves, <laughs> his, loves his 270. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I uh, well, and I also have uh, like a 12 gauge. Uh, I haven't done much Canada goose hunting, but my son has really got me involved in it because he enjoys it very, very much. So I'm doing more and more of that as well. Absolutely. Hopefully there'll be more after you retire as well. Oh, yes. Well, we have a lot of geese around here. 
uh, and farmers really appreciate it if you harvest some of them because they really can uh, raise the dickens with crops. Mm. Tell us, uh, Gary, do, do gun laws vary from province to province? Is there any uniformity across Canada? Well, they, when, when the uh, Liberal government, which is the left-wing, center-left in Canada, when they were uh, elected in '93, they brought in the, the gun registry and a lot of other uh, onerous uh, gun laws, and they were supposed to be uniform across Canada. However, each province had a chief firearms officer that was supposed to implement the details of it, and some of them were very creative. For example, in Ontario, uh, the, the laws for sport shooters, if they wanted to go arrange and stuff, they had to have an ATT, that's an authorization to transport, every time they went to the range. So it, yeah. it, it, it varied very much. And then on the West Coast in B.C., when you got your, uh, your license, your restricted license to use a handgun, you didn't have to get the ATT. If you, you applied for it once, and it was yours for the for the next uh, three, four, five years. So the law was supposed to be the same across Canada, but the bureaucrats became very, very creative in how they applied it. So it was a really a hodgepodge. We yeah. tried in, in our last uh, uh, legislation now to kind of tie their hands and... Uh, uh, and make them less creative and have it all approved by the minister in Ottawa and have some uniformity, but they're still pushing back. It's uh, it's a, really a problem for politicians uh, to try to get the bureaucracy to carry out what they want them to do. Absolutely. And talking about the registry, obviously, Gary, you'd be aware we had a, a mass shooting in 1996 in Tasmania, um, which you know, triggered our firearms registration uh, system here in Australia. What was the reason that the government of the time in Canada wanted to instill a firearms registration system on the people of Canada? Well, there was a really bad shooting in 1989 at a college uh, polytechnique in uh, Quebec and uh, girls, all girls were killed uh, and that, you know, caused a lot of people to call for uh, more strict gun laws and so the governments promised that they would do something about it and they didn't know what to do so they got creative and decided they were going to bring in a gun registry for long guns because the shooter used a, a rifle. Uh, it, it was it was seen by politicians as needy, they needed to do something in response to that. So that's why after that, in 1993, they promised to bring in this registry, and the legislation was passed in 94, uh, 95, and came fully into play in about 2003, I think it was. Mm. Very well, that was the event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this is a very interesting one because this is the same thing here in Australia. Uh, we think the police, or they generally do, instead of police enforcing the law, they try and, especially our police commissioners, try and dictate the law to the government, especially surrounding firearms. So what's the relationship like between, say, the government, police, and firearms owners in Canada? Well, yeah, that, that is very controversial. Uh, in my province of Saskatchewan, the the uh, the RCMP here did not want to have any part of the long gun uh, registry. In fact, all of the police chiefs uh, voted against it. They they did not uh, want to have that because they felt it was going to really create problems for them policing rural areas because there would be a mistrust of the police by firearms owners. And in fact, that happened to the point now where very often thefts are not even reported because the firearms owner becomes the victim. The police can't find the person who stole it, so they charge the person for unsafe storage or something like that. And so what happened is that it really ruptured a good relationship that the police need with the, the public in, in general and firearms owners in particular. So... Uh, it was mainly the police chiefs in Canada that pushed for uh, more firearms laws and stricter controls. In my humble opinion, I think they were playing politics with it because some of them are political appointments. And uh, so really, uh, it was a negative. And the, the real kicker, the, the, the key point that's often missed is that 
for the amount of money that was spent on the registry, and after I think it was four or five years, they had spent $500 million. That's That's half a billion dollars. And the Attorney General of Ontario, who didn't want to have anything to do with this, it was a federal law, and he was, he was the provincial uh, uh, justice minister, said that for that half a billion, they could have put five or 6,000 more police on the street. So that's the kind of thing you're looking at. And if you put it to the police in that way, then, of course, oh, uh, yeah, we, we would sure or could use more police, especially in some of the high crime areas in Toronto and some of the other cities. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's what happened here. Uh, most of the provinces opposed the registry. In fact, they took it to the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court said, because it's criminal law, the federal government has the right to do this. And, and, and the liberal government of the day put it into the criminal code, which applies to all of Canada, because the, uh, the provinces are in charge of the regulation of property. So to override that in their constitution, they made it uh, a criminal code law. Interesting. I noticed too, especially you probably be well aware of this one too. In June 2013, the uh, High River gun grab, where they had the, the the large floods there in High River, and people came home to find their houses that have been entered by, I guess, uh, RCMP and their firearms actually taken off them. What's your thoughts on that one? Oh, that that was a violation of of their rights. The police broke the law because they didn't have the right to enter without uh, some kind of a warrant. Uh, they, this, I think, is still going to be a very controversial issue. Uh, there has been no good explanation as to why it happened. In fact, the gun registry had already been abolished. How did they know where the firearms were? So somebody mm. still had access that, to that, which was illegal. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that was really a terrible event in Canada's history. I think it's one of the worst abuses of police power that I've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. And just I think it was last year as well, which just goes to show, I guess, firearms that fall into the illegal market have no bearing on license to law-abiding firearms owners. Because there was a, a shooting last year. Was it, He entered Parliament House, wasn't it? Um, was that in Ottawa, I think, if I'm correct? Can you tell the listeners about that one? Oh, yes. Well, I was I was right there. In fact, I was just a few steps away from where the shooter eventually died. Uh, I think he had like 30 shots in him uh, by the time he uh, fell down. The sergeant of arms uh, took care of him at the very end. I was uh, sitting in, in a room uh, where he ran past the door. I was on the other side of the closed door. And uh, it was one of the, I guess, most horrific experiences uh someone could ever have because it's a stone building it sounded like a war out there there was 61 shots and uh, it it's, it was just an unbelievable thing you had no idea uh, how many people were out there the prime minister was speaking at the time just in front of me to the entire government caucus uh, the shooter didn't know what he was doing thank thankfully he didn't know that we were meeting there uh, uh, so this event really uh, galvanized uh, the politicians to, you know, tighten security on Parliament Hill. Uh, you can never, ever forget uh, the sound of all those shots ringing off as, as you're sitting there. And the panic amongst some of the members of Parliament was unbelievable. I mean, you know, it, it was a, a very, very disconcerting attempt. Uh, and so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can imagine what that was like. And, uh, yeah, the calls for more security. I mean, Canada has been a very trusting nation. We're maybe a little bit too lax in our security, but that has really changed things around Parliament Hill. We're just going to go to a quick break here on AHP Digital, and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. For everything Bushnell, go to Red Fox Outdoor Supplies online store. For a full range of Bushnell rifle scopes, rangefinders, binoculars, night vision, spotting scopes and Hoppies gun cleaning products. Red Fox are also major online retailers for the popular Aussie Maxbox brand and the rest of the innovative products distributed by Eagle Eye Hunting Gear. All at Red Fox Outdoor Supplies. So go to the website redfoxoutdoorsupplies.com.au or phone Greg on 0412 495 712. Do you have dull, blunt or badly sharpened knives that couldn't skin a cat? 
At Scary Sharp, we use a multi-step grinding system and will hand sharpen your blades to a precise edge. Our process of sharpening knives will have your blades splitting hairs for a surprisingly low cost. Not only do we sharpen knives, but we also sharpen scissors, clippers, garden tools, arrowheads, axes or anything that holds an edge. We are located close to Canberra and we also have a mail-in service. Visit Scary Sharp on Facebook or call Bob on 0410-432-852 and find out how we can meet your sharpening needs. Scary Sharp. If it cuts, we can sharpen it. As, as I said before on air, Gary, I, I lived in uh, Toronto for about a year and a half and I found Australians, you know, if it, like Canadians, um, you know, very level-headed people, very nice, very friendly. Um, I don't see, yep. and, you, and you just came to Australia as, as, as we'll talk about uh, in a minute as yep. well. Um, sure. I, I think you found Australians very welcoming, very accommodating and very friendly people also. Oh, the, the similarity between the two countries is, is unbelievable. Uh, I felt right at home there. Uh, people treated me very, very nicely and, like you say, very friendly. Uh, I think the cultures are very similar as well. You know, uh, we welcome everybody into our country, basically, and, uh, uh, you know, we trust each other, and I think uh, they're both relatively safe societies. With, with very similar cultures, yes. Exactly. Um, you were very instrumental, obviously, with the Harper government as well in, uh, in abolishing the Canadian long arms registration system. I mean, how did you get involved in wanting to push that particular policy? <laughs> that is very interesting. I, I was elected in 93 against all odds. I, uh, I, I didn't want to go into politics, but I had a lot of people around me who worked hard and got me elected. Then shortly after that election in 93... Uh, I was invited to a small town called Priestville, uh, north of uh, where I live here, about one hour drive. And it was minus 39 degrees Celsius. You can imagine uh, how cold <laughs> it was that day. And I didn't expect very many people to be at this meeting. I walked in there, and it was unbelievable because they were very concerned about what the government had signaled would be happening with firearms laws. So I didn't expect to speak, but when they saw me walk in, some of them recognized me and, and uh, put me up on the platform, said, you've got to make a speech, tell us what you think. Well, I blathered on a little bit about, well, you know, gun control is a good thing, saves lives, you know, blah, blah, blah. They, <laughs> they, yeah, they challenged me, and I, I was a new politician, I, I was young, maybe a bit naive. They challenged me to scratch below the surface and take a closer look at what the government had planned and, and come back and tell them how this was going to improve public safety and save lives and all this kind of thing. I took up the challenge and I said, okay, I'm going to do that. So I hired Dennis Young, and he, he was a former RCMP officer to do my research, and we started looking at this thing together. Well, it became obvious that this wasn't going to do anything. It was going to be a money pit, and which it, it proved to be eventually. I mean, we spent probably $2 billion already on this thing. And uh, so I, I did a complete about-face, a 180 turn, and uh, I came back to them and said, you know what, uh, you, you uh, really need to be credited with challenging me, and I am going to continue to uh, follow this. And I, I guess I was naive, too, that I thought that if you present facts to the government and speak up in Parliament and present a rational argument for why this thing is quite useless and we should spend our money on something else, that it would make a difference. But the government of the day did not change their mind. So Dennis and I kept uh, uncovering more and more facts. We did a, almost 600 access to information requests. That's asking the government for information behind the scenes on, on what's going on. That was a lot of work. But every time we got one of these back, we would publicize it to gun owners across the country. A, a real network developed. People began to publicize this. And so that's how I got involved. It was just a day-by-day -day thing, doing my, doing my job, basically, representing my constituents. Mm. Did the this is a very interesting question? Did the RCMP uh, or the police did they support the abolition of the firearms registration system for long arms? At the beginning, yes. Um, the rank and file saw no use in the firearms registry. It didn't change anything. Like for example, if they went to a domestic dispute at a private home, they in fact were told by their superiors in Saskatchewan, at least where I talked to them, that. 
do not consult the registry because the information is not reliable. The error rate was horrific. Even the Auditor General talked about the error rate being just unbelievably high. And I checked uh, in Australia, you've got a similar problem. Anyway, the police would not uh, uh, really use it. There was a few that, that supported it, but they themselves didn't use it because if they went to a domestic dispute and consulted the registry, and if the registry said a gun was there, it actually put the person who was at that residence at risk because the police might think he's got a gun in his hand. Uh, it happened once there was like a stapler in, a, in, a, uh, in the hand of the person who answered the door. Somebody thought it was a, a gun. I mean, you know, and if there's, there's even, uh, and I, I, I know this because a police officer told me this, that there was one police officer who went to a home thinking there were no firearms present and is dead. I mean, that's, that's the real negative downside of this thing. But the police, by and large, could not use it. It was, it was not useful in any way, shape, or form. Didn't change any procedures, didn't solve a crime, didn't save a life. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. You're, you're pouring money down a hole uh, that is just... <laughs> has no bottom in it. It just goes on forever. Exactly. And speaking about, I know Stephen Harper has been very, uh, very vocal on that as well, and, and says you know firearms registration is wasteful and ineffective and hasn't has not saved one single Canadian life. I mean that's a pretty strong statement, Gary. And I mean I a hundred percent agree with that. But did the general public agree with that too? Obviously the anti anti firearm people they were obviously they were heavily opposed to getting rid of firearms registration. But I mean it's it's a very strong statement. Well, but it's true, and you know, I mean, he he had access to the facts. Uh, we did the research for him, and it became obvious that this this was in fact true. The, the The thing is that firearms owners mobilized themselves. They began to belong to organizations that represented them, and they began to work with the politicians. They didn't confront them. They they started working at the grassroots level in the constituencies yep. uh, to, to work with politicians that agreed with them, and, and most of them were on the conservative side. So eventually the conservative party uh, put in place a policy that they were going to abolish this. Stephen Harper was the leader. He supported it. And the rest is history. We, we, uh, when we formed a majority government, we were able to get the legislation passed to, to abolish the long gun registry. Mm. Let's talk about, I want to go some of the cons first. What are some of the cons of the firearms registry? What are some of the bad things about that it was supposed to do that didn't do? Well, it was supposed to improve public safety. It didn't do that. Some of the, the cons were, first of all, you're, you're spending taxpayers' money. So you're, you're spending it on something that is not of a material benefit. It, it is not cost-effective uh, in improving public safety. So that, that's a real negative. Another negative is that it really ruptured a good relationship between firearms owners and the police. Uh, yep. and, and it created divisions uh, within communities as well. Um, you, you ask how many people uh, supported or opposed it. Uh, a survey was taken, and, and a lot of this is the result of the publicity that we got when the Auditor General uh, verified that what we were saying, uh, or what I was saying, was was factually correct. When that was publicized, 76% of Canadians said, get rid of the gun registry. And, uh, it, you know, that, I think, was quite significant. Once they saw the facts... And uh, the Auditor General is to be trusted in what she put forward. Then uh, they they were opposed to it and said, scrap it and spend the money on something that's worthwhile. And it's obvious, like a piece of paper doesn't affect what anybody does with a firearm. And and I tell people, you know, Mom Boucher was head of Hell's Angels in Montreal when you when his trial for murder was up <laughs> yeah. there. He he just folded his arms casually when they brought in the three guns that were uh, brought in as evidence and said, "Did you bring in the registration certificates too?" They didn't even think to look. I mean, he he mocked the whole system. So the piece of paper doesn't prevent anything. Ninety percent of the firearms 
the handguns in Toronto that are used in crime are unregistered, and we've had a handgun registry since 1934, and it's still in place. So the the evidence is very strong, and Stephen Harper saw that evidence, and he thought, you know what, uh, let's do the right thing and get rid of this thing, and uh, people supported him. Yeah, have you had any? We had one here in, in in my state of New South Wales as well, where this was like several years ago, where they had um, security guards obviously have registered firearms, and they accidentally sent the details of those people on a Excel a Windows or sorry a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. Uh, to people that weren't supposed to have that data. We're also seeing in some of our rural towns as well, there's been a, a heavy increase over the last year to a year and a half of uh, people having their firearms stolen. And when they go into the property, they have not stolen anything else, just the firearms. And a lot of people now, and people, you know, some people say they have that the police... Uh, were able to look at that data. People just that work in the police station were able to look at that data without logging in. So the question remains that people were able to most likely get that data, which may have resulted in you know people having their firearms stolen. I mean, how is how is that system supposed to be a good thing when it's supposed to be keeping firearms off the street? Well, that is just an excellent point, and I should have mentioned that earlier, but. Here in Canada, we actually did an access to information request for information behind the scenes. And when it came back, I was shocked. In a four-year period, there were over 300 breaches to the data in the long gun registry. That means that 300 people got that information that nobody knows who they were, why they accessed it, and the police. That really was an eye-opener for everybody. And we have similar experiences here in Canada, in, in Edmonton. Uh, shortly after the uh, gun owner had registered his guns, his house was broken to, into. And they, they didn't take things you normally would take when you broke into a house. They searched until they found his gun safe, broke into it, stole his very valuable firearms. It's a violation of their privacy rights. Mm. So that, you know, it's become a shopping list for criminals. Yeah, you know, I, and and that's a really bad thing. Yeah, I agree too. I noticed that people. Well, I had this discussion with a friend yesterday that, um, you know, when your firearms are registered, and I'm talking about ownership. Yes, you know, I went to the shop and purchased that particular firearm, but. It, in Australia, and I'm sure this was the same in Canada at the time the long gun registry was there, that at any time, realistically, the RCMP, the police can come in and seize anyone or all of those firearms. So it comes down to a case of individual property. You know, Gary, do we even own our own firearms? If, if you know, Obviously, here in Australia, we're still under a long gun registration system. I mean, do we even own our firearms if the police can come and take them at any time? Well, you were answering your own question. That is a very good point. The advantage you have in Australia is that you have property rights. In our Charter of Rights, uh, when that was brought to back to uh, Canada from England in 1982, they didn't put property rights into the Charter of Rights. And so, in fact, we aren't even guaranteed compensation if if our firearms are confiscated. And, and that's happening. When they reclassify a firearm here in Canada and... Uh, put it into a category where you can no longer own it, that's like confiscation, and that's happened here. And it's very, very upsetting. We, we just had the uh, case uh, uh, a short time ago where a certain uh, Swiss uh, gun was yep. uh, reclassified. It had been in Canada for 10 or 11 years, and all of a sudden, some bureaucrat uh, in, in the RCMP decided to reclassify it and make it prohibited. Uh, pardon me, uh, restricted. And without a long gun registry, you don't even know where those guns are. So you, you really have created criminals without them even knowing that they've become a criminal. Uh, and there was no need to reclassify it. Nothing had changed in 11 years. It was exactly the same gun that was being brought in. So, I mean, I think you've made the point very well that, you know, <laughs> yeah. this is really ridiculous in the extreme. Yeah, and what we feel we're going to go through the same thing, Gary. Obviously, you've heard about uh, the issues with the um, Adler lever action shotgun. Now, I think in this country, it was a seven shot. I think they now have approval to bring in a five shot uh, magazine version of that Adler lever action. But the things that we're concerned about is the government 
may not actually ban it outright because they're afraid of the negative publicity. But what they will do is reclassify it to what we call a Category C shotgun, which, you know, 99.5% of shooters won't be able to get access to that particular firearm. So they won't even have to ban it. All they will do is send a letter in the mail saying all lever-action shotguns are being reclassified to Category C. Um, You have 28 days to... Here is the paperwork. You've got 28 days to prove your genuine reason, which most people won't have the genuine reason to be able to own one. Uh, If you don't supply that within 28 days, you need to hand over your firearm, sell it to a proper person or sell it to a dealer, and you have to dispose of the firearm. I mean, you know, this firearm has been around for a a lever actions. I mean, geez, how long, Uh, Gary? Hundreds of years. They used to use them in the Old West, you know. Now, all of a sudden, a new style firearm uh, the Adler is here, and it's all of a sudden a problem. I mean, I mean, we've had the Shiapa, which is the IAC 1887. It's a seven-shot, I think, already in the country now, but they saw a video from the dealer bringing in that firearm into the country, and all of a sudden they're freaking out about lever-action shotguns. I mean, it's just absurd. It absolutely is, and and there's no reason for it. If if you if you <laughs> scratch below the surface, like I was challenged to do, there. There isn't any good reason to do it, and that's what's so disconcerting. Absolutely. I know the the province of Ottawa uh, fought the federal government to try and retain the data, Gary, uh, from the registry. Did they succeed in doing that? I, I think you're referring to the province of Quebec. Quebec, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, Quebec, but, but, yes. <laughs> yes. Ottawa, the city of the Ottawa, capital. <laughs> okay, anyway, <laughs> the, the uh, province of Quebec was not successful in retaining that. They took it to court, and the, their plea was defeated. Uh, so they cannot uh, do that. Uh, and I do not believe, they, they've threatened to set up their own registry, but uh, politicians are not completely without brains and they uh i think we'll see that the registry would be a horrific expense uh we've got health care dollars here that are very scarce in canada if you want to save lives you put it into health care not not a uh, uh firearms registry for long guns so quebec i think is is uh going to give up on this thing because they lost the challenge and uh will not i i don't think we'll follow through on it yeah, I know I, it was very big news over here when you know, the, the long gun registry was first gone and we did see you know, Quebec trying to you know, get access to the data. There was many um, you know, court actions trying to get the data, but I'm glad the, you know, the government stood firm and said no. And luckily, you know, they were defeated, I think, which is a, you know, a fantastic thing, I guess, for the, you know, the, the, the shooters and hunters of Quebec. Yeah, oh, it is. Uh, a, a survey was taken and... Uh we have not suffered politically because of our stand here. It was the right thing to do, to have the same law across Canada, not to have one province try and do their own thing here. And uh, so it, it's, it's actually it turned out to be a good thing. We're just going to go to a quick break here on AHP Digital, and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Whether you're into hunting bunnies, foxes, wild dogs, feral pigs, or even wild goats, there is only one hunting magazine that covers the lot and a little bit more. Shoot Ferals Australia magazine promotes ethical hunting practices and values in each issue. Grab a copy today at your local newsagent or look them up at shootferals.com.au. Do you hunt deer and want to learn the correct techniques for a quality wall mount and premium eating venison? SSAA Sydney Branch provides hunter education courses to help you become a better hunter and to utilise harvested game in the most effective way possible. Course content includes gunning, butchering and caping from experienced hands-on instructors using locally harvested deer. There is no gear required and also includes a barbecue lunch. Courses are held every first Sunday of each month with an 8am sign-in for a 9am start. Course running time is approximately 6 hours and the venue is Silverdale Rifle Range. Cost is $50 per person, so call Andy Mallon at Silverdale Rifle Range on 02-4653-1440 or visit SSAAsydney.net. I 
I want to talk about, we're probably going to have a bit of a laugh here, Gary, because we just went through some of the cons of firearms registration. Let's talk about on the flip side, which I don't think there are any, but I want to hear your opinion. Are there any pros to firearms registration? Oh, boy, you really stuck me with a question. <laughs> I, I, will, I, I really tried to look at it in an unbiased way, especially at the beginning when I was first challenged to look at it. I thought, well, you know, surely to goodness, uh, firearms control must have some benefit. But I really haven't found anything. It does create jobs for bureaucrats. Okay, uh, so you know if you want to be cynical, <laughs> um, and you think that's a plus, uh, you you could say that. But they're but they're doing something that's really not contributing in, in any positive way to the benefit in society. You'd better off to hire those people to register criminals that uh, right now don't have to be registered. Uh, the violent criminals. I think you'd better have a registry of that. The the ironic thing is. If you're a firearms owner, you have to report your change of address within one month or year you've committed a criminal offense. But, but for example, a, a child pornographer doesn't have to do that. Yeah. Or, or yeah. pardon me, say a, sex, a sexual assault uh, criminal doesn't have to do that. Mm. Who's more of a risk <laughs> to society? I mean, that's the that's the kind of absurdity that we're dealing with right yeah. now. I think in uh, in my state of New South Wales, it's uh, 14 days. You have to notify them of a uh, you know change of address so they absolutely know where those firearms are. But what's the whole point of it, Gary? Because I find you know I'm a person that. You know, I think especially too with gun ownership, and I'm sure this is the same in Canada, where every time I do something, I talk to people, I make sure I stay professional, calm and collective because at any time I do anything wrong with it, as you said, an assault charge or fraud or drugs or anything like that, we immediately lose our firearms license, which I say is appropriate in most situations depending on what the issue is. Um, so I think by definition, law-abiding firearms owners are really some of the best people in society. And what is the point of the government trying to hassle somebody like me when I've gone through the effort of getting a license in registering firearms, in getting safe storage. I mean, the criminals, they're just not doing that. So what is the point of the police coming to my house to check my firearms when they are just letting criminals run rampant on the street? I mean, is it easier just to target the law-abiding people? <laughs> I think you've hit the nail on the head, absolutely. I think that's the case. In fact, we did a, uh, a, sur a certain, I, I didn't do it, but a survey was done in Canada, and firearms owners are less likely to commit a violent crime than the general public. And, and it's a very significant, like the general public is three times more likely to commit a violent crime than a gun owner. And so why are the police hassling gun owners? Uh, it, it, uh, it's really disconcerting. If you uh, commit a traffic offense, maybe you're speeding or a parking ticket or something, and they, and they uh, put your license plate in there, immediately the information comes up in their computer system that you're a gun owner. And so if they stop you, they, you know, they already are suspicious about you. That, that's a violation of your privacy rights and uh, I think that's uh, a serious problem. Yeah, I think so too. I know some of the you know uh, the firearm shops over there in in Canada, Gary. You know they're running their businesses, and they, uh, from what I've read in articles, I don't know if it's true. You might be able to tell me from your constituents. They were told by the RCMP, uh, whether it be I'm not sure if it's the you know the, the the police on the ground or the chief provincial officers that they need to make sure they write up these purchases in a book. Now a lot of the you know, firearms dealers over there, the shops were saying, well, isn't this a form of you know, a form of registration. Well, and, and that's a good point. But that's, again, a certain province that was doing it and was the chief firearms officer in that province was being very creative in interpreting the law. And we actually, as conservative government, had to come down on him in our last recent legislation so that they can't do this. We, we are trying to stop that from happening because it is a backdoor registry of sorts. We also have the, the issue with the United Nations marking. We have not, as a country, signed on to the unique marking for importation of firearms. For example, serial numbers are already unique. Uh, you know, I, let me give you a, a little fact here that's really almost funny in the extreme. <laughs> when I said that, and I've been fighting this, you know, signing on to this United Nations thing for quite some time, 
they 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 told us well they're, no they're not all unique in fact there's 30,000 uh firearms that uh, the police have imported uh handguns and they all have the same number so i thought oh you're kidding so I, we went and investigated further the information was the model number not the serial number that they that they recorded and that's why it all came out the same it just shows you that the errors in the registry are unbelievable and so when we pointed out to them that the person who was registering it didn't know the difference between the model number and the serial number uh, and that's caused a huge problem i mean that's the kind of thing so anyway we're we're still opposed the united states contrary to what i heard in australia has not uh, approved that uh, unique marking either. Okay, uh, they they said yes in the United Nations, but they've never implemented it. It never got past their Congress, and we in Canada are not uh, going with that either because it's a backdoor registry again. I know, and I did I did watch one of the videos. I think it was about three months ago. Uh, Stephen yeah. Harper was getting interviewed by someone. I can't remember who it was, and he was asked about you know this sort of you know. You know, backdoor firearms registration and that people are trying to, in effect, bring in these backdoor registrations and absolutely it won't be tolerated. And, you know, I, I just wanted to say, you know, congratulations to you, not only yourself, but I mean, the Harper government, obviously, as well as part of the Harper government, just not tolerating this sort of, you know, stuff from either the police or the anti-gunners on trying to bring in, or, or even the provinces in trying to bring in backdoor registration. I mean, it sends a very strong signal across the world that we won't tolerate it. Yeah, and that's and that's a good point. I appreciate uh, hearing that. Um, you know, politicians need to be given information, and and uh, this is something that gun organizations that have a good relationship with politicians can can do. And Stephen Harper, our prime minister, has been told you know, the facts of these things, and and that's very very helpful. And in Australia, you can do the, the same thing. Uh, Samira McFedron, I've seen yes. the research she's done. That has to be on the desk of every politician so they can see factually what's going on. And hopefully then they'll do the right thing as we're trying to do. Absolutely. I know there's, uh, would you think Australia, I mean, again, I've been to Canada. You've obviously just traveled here as well, which I think was your first time. Could we benefit from such a system? Canada has gotten rid of long arm registration back in the mid 1980s. New Zealand said, no, you know, we're not going to be doing this after 1996 here in Australia. Um, uh, John, the, the then Prime Minister, John Howard, spoke to the Prime Minister of New Zealand and said, well, after their 97 massacre in New Zealand, listen, you know, you should go down the same path that we've gone. Uh, New Zealand said, no, you know, we're not going to be doing that. We've got a rich hunting culture, heritage and shooting culture, and they still have access to all, all the firearms we had pre-1996, and they've not had a mass shooting since. So could Australia benefit from this system as well, since our countries are all very similar in culture? Oh, well, I can't tell you what to do, but I would agree. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I think that uh, politicians t should take a serious look at abolishing it. For one thing, I think it can be sold politically to the public as uh, not a good use of tax dollars. I mean, unless you really have a lot of extra money lying around in Australia, I mean, wh why would you want to keep a registry? Uh, there's really no good reason. And similar cultures like New Zealand, Canada, are getting rid of theirs and no harm is being done. Yeah. In fact, violent crime continues to decrease at exactly the same rate. And sometimes yes. we are compared with the U.S. Violent crime in the U.S. is decreasing more rapidly than in Canada. Yep. I mean, there's, there, people need to look at the facts. And that's one of the things that I've learned in my political career is look at the facts. Don't just try to create impressions. I wonder why, though, Gary, our... our politicians here and we'll go on to your your into your times with uh, them just recently on your trip in australia but why are we australia so hell-bent on keeping such a a wasteful and ineffective system why would we do this are they scared to make change is it living in the shadows of our prime minister what do you think <laughs> well apathy is the best friend of politicians <laughs> and, and, shooters, and shooters sometimes <laughs> gary and shooters <laughs> <laughs> and, and if gun owners sit back and say, well, you know, I don't think it's going to be worth trying to, you know, get involved here and, and try to convince our politicians to do the right thing, they will continue to, to create impressions. And, uh, and 
I think it's possible in Australia to, to, you know, get rid of your registry, but you've got to have people that are committed. And if you can find MPs, such as uh, we have here in Canada, I've, I've done work on this, uh, that are on side, they can have quite an influence in their political party. But it takes time. I mean, you've got to go to their conventions and, and get the policies passed and uh, really lobby heavily. Um, Australia is much more urban than Canada or New Zealand, and maybe that's an issue, but I think it's possible because you do have a lot of shooters and, and the firearms owners in your cities, and I think think firearms ownership is increasing quite significantly, significantly Absolutely. in Australia. Yeah, we've got about you know, 750 to 800,000 gun owners. I mean, but the, the interesting part is we always hear, Gary, that they say, well, you know, since the... You know, the, the laws of the John Howard government back in 1996, there's been no mass shootings. There was, you know, so many before 1996. So this registration and these gun laws, well, they must be working. But again, we see New Zealand in the exact same situation without any of these restrictions, and they haven't had a mass shooting since. So, I mean, yeah, do you think... Uh, any of those laws have any effect on mass shootings? Because, I mean, if I wanted to go out tomorrow and do something like that, well, then some, I would. If I, Obviously, I'm not that type of person. You have to be a certain type of crazy psychopath to want to do something like that. So how do these yeah. laws with people that already own firearms, I mean, there's 750 to 800,000 gun owners. None of our firearms killed, any, you know, killed anybody today. So, I mean, how can it possibly stop people from committing mass shootings? Well, that's common sense. You're exactly right. And a registry actually can be helpful to some of these people because they know where to get their guns. And it's not difficult to access the registry. I mean, people can hack into almost anything. Even even military secrets in Washington are hacked into. I mean, it's possible to do it. But the point is, you would be better off spending that money and trying to find out the individuals in society that might pose a risk. Uh, and, and you're much better off trying to do that kind of thing. We're, we're moving in that direction in Canada, especially with the uh, terrorist uh, shooting that we had in Parliament Hill. They're beginning to realize that we better start uh, checking this out and trying to prevent these kind of things cause, because uh, people who are mentally deranged or, or uh, terrorists will always find some way to do what they want to do and a registry is not going to slow them down yeah getting back onto the when you were actually you know during the discussions and the debating of getting rid of the uh, long arms registry um was it supported you know by all forms of government i mean especially the the liberal party and, and trudeau no, they weren't. They, they, uh, the, there's two parties in opposition. We have the majority. Uh, the Conservative Party uh, supported it. Uh, the other two parties voted against it. Okay. Now, they realized that politically this could be a problem for them. So now we're in an election campaign. Yes. And so they're kind of saying, well, you know, um, things have changed since that. So they're, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. But they voted against <laughs> it when their vote came up in Parliament. Yeah. Sometimes you can't trust politicians, isn't that right, Gary? <laughs> well, that's right. Depending on which I, ones I they hate, are. I hate to say that, yeah, <laughs> but that's that's true. You have to you have to keep them on a short leash, and and this is the thing that I could emphasize to Australian gun owners is you know get to know these politicians, get involved. Uh, when I talked to some of them, I, I told them politically, it's not a negative thing to to be opposed to the registry. You can actually get good support. But the 2 to 5% of people in society to whom this is a, a, a big issue need to get involved politically. We have a, I'm not sure what the Canadian gun owners are like, Gary, but in Australia, we, I think after 1996, a lot of the, you know, older shooters, even some of the middle-aged ones, just, they gave up their guns, Gary. They just said, oh, if you're going to get me to register them and go through all these, jump through all these hoops, well, you know, we're not interested. And unfortunately, that's what my show's about. Part of it is to get people writing to their local members, their ministers, their members of parliament to to make themselves heard because some people just go, well, okay, well, another restriction. Oh, well, nothing I can do about it. And shooters in general in Australia, and I think most would agree with this, they're fairly apathetic, Gary. They don't want to get off their bums and do any work. Well, that can be a huge problem. And writing letters is good, but they also need to get involved uh, in their local... I think your your political system is similar to ours. Uh, you know, 
know, there's politicians elected from certain districts. They need to get involved in the political parties in in those with those people. What happened in Canada here was, it was unbelievable. There was there's all, between 18 and 21 million firearms in the country. Only seven wow. or eight million were ever registered. So people did not trust the government on this one. So we don't we there was no compensation for people that turned in their firearms which is very different than australia but yeah. i mean that just goes to show you that uh it doesn't work hopefully the you know the gun owners of canada can you know move forward and try and work with you know the government i mean the, i think the government has shown some good faith to you know the harper government has shown good faith to firearms owners and yourself as well on pushing that through and you know, I think the government should be um, excited about that, you know, and, and, and be helping the government, be working with the government because they've done a pretty good job, I, I would assume, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, and, and bring it, put enough pressure on that it becomes an issue at election time yeah. and, and that there's a clear distinction between the politicians on one side of the issue and the other, and then shooters need to vote accordingly. Yes. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. Do you have any, I mean, obviously you don't really need to, I guess, with the Harper government involved. Is there any political parties that um, are, are purely in shooting? I mean, we've got one political party here in um, Australia, the Shooters and Fishers Party. They're, they're pretty big on you know, shooting and, and hunting rights. And you know, in my state of New South Wales, they're fairly pretty popular. We've just had Liberal Democrat David Lionhelm, who I think you met from the Liberal Democrats, the uh, bald guy. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, yeah, it was really great meeting him. He, he really uh, is a galvanizing force there, and uh, people need to to listen to him. Absolutely. Yep. And speaking to you, your when you were here speaking, this is the one of the most interesting questions I wanted to ask you during this interview. You met obviously our politicians, some that were. Um, obviously for firearms ownership and supported firearms ownership, and then ones like uh, Justice Minister Keenan, who says they support firearms ownership, but only after David Lionhelm basically, you know, I wouldn't say it was blackmail, but had to, <laughs> you know, try and, you know, well, our rights are on the line, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures, Gary. So, um, you know, what were your meetings like with our officials, especially the ones that you think were, were not very pro-gun? Were they listening to your message? Did they seem receptive to your message? Well, some were and some weren't. Um, the meetings generally went very well. The meeting with the Justice Minister, I mean, he made some good promises uh, on the Adler Libre action. Uh, I'll see, or you'll see if he'll follow through on that. Yep. Uh, the police minister in Queensland refused to reply to my invitation to meet. Wow. Uh, even though I was public safety minister here for five years, uh, chair of the public safety the committee for, for five years, I mean, I, I knew issues and um, I found that uh, a bit uh, disconcerting, but absolutely, um, they, yeah. I, I think some were just being polite, but uh, some also were very, very supportive of what I had to say, and, and that encouraged me. I think they're in opposition right now in Queensland, but uh, I told them, you know, and I told Gunner was the same thing: freedom is not free; you need to defend it. And and uh, th- this, I think, can be a very key issue. Uh, so generally, the meetings went very, very well. Uh, but whether they were just being polite, uh, I had a difficult time reading with that. I think the the, the follow-up, what what will happen now, is is going to be very, very important. Will the justice minister follow through on on the promises he made? And there were people from Australia there, so they they can. Uh, uh, follow this up closely. Yeah, you just touched on something which I think is very interesting, Gary, which I've been pushing regularly. Freedom is not free. I mean, you know, the, the powers that be, and this I think is universal, Gary, that they're continually trying to reduce our freedom. I mean, in Australia, I'm not sure about Canada, you can probably tell me, you know, uh, about 15 years ago, maybe a bit longer, they banned fireworks. I mean, we can't even own fireworks in Australia. A air rifle in Australia, like an, a pellet gun, is classified in the same category as a 12-gauge shotgun. Go figure. Um, you know, it just seems that, again, in every country, there's people always continually trying to take our rights away. It doesn't matter what it is. There's always seems to be a reduction in freedom. And everyone seems to despise America, yet can't seem to get enough of their TV shows, their technology, their phones. 
their iPods, their you know uh, Mac computers. Um, so, what can I guess? My question is, what can Australian shooters do in the future to make sure they keep pushing for their rights here? Well, they've just got to keep pushing. I mean, that's the bottom line. I think they need to inform themselves. Have have their facts straight, go to their politicians and, and uh, talk to them one-on-one and get involved in the political process. Uh, politicians create impressions, and the impression they create is that if they, they make another law, it's a good law and it will improve society, and if somebody isn't there to push back and defend freedom, they will do it. I mean, they're there to try and get elected, and they get elected by promising new laws, and uh, often those laws are completely meaningless. I mean, I didn't know this about the fireworks, but uh, no, we still have access to that kind of thing. But uh, yep. get involved. That's the that's what I would uh, would be my bottom line message to to everybody is uh, you know you if you value your freedom. It's going to be encroached upon a little step at a time, you know, and you just got to say that's enough. Draw a line in the sand and say uh, we can't have any more of this encroachment on our freedom. Absolutely. And I keep telling shooters that, you know, Gary, enough's enough. You've got to draw that line in the sand because it's yeah. just going to be with the the, the, the the Adler lever action, then it's going to be another firearm, then all of a sudden it's yeah. a magazine capacity over five rounds, and then yeah. all of a sudden you lose this firearm. I mean, it's just, it's just getting yeah. out of control, and it's trying to... And hopefully what, that's what we've done today is get the shooters and yeah. say, listen, enough, write into your ministers, make appointments with them, meet with them if yeah. they'll meet with you. And I'm sorry some of our you know, police ministers or our politicians didn't meet with you, Gary, because I think that's fairly disrespectful, to be honest, especially with a you know, travelling member that's come a long way from another country, which is a Commonwealth country like we are. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I... I agree with what you're saying, and I, I really wish you the best. Uh, it, it takes a lot of effort and work to defend freedom, and so people have to realize how important it is. Uh, and step by step, it will be taken away. I was told, uh, as I was in this battle, and it took me 17 years to, to get rid of the gun registry, that give it up. You'll never repeal a law like this, you know. But it can't. It's possible. You can do it, but it, it takes a lot of work and a, a lot of effort, and you have to have some politicians that are really committed doing that uh, and that's important I know that's the uh, that's that's the hardest thing isn't it to get people yep. you know to think that you know it's actually possible to do this because if you know we can't do it well you know well, I guess hunters just feel a bit like they can't make that achievement that achievement's too big in Australia whereas you know at least there was but you know you guys got the science there and it's just you know, it's just it's just a fact. So, but Gary, to finish off, my last question to you: We always like to. This is a bit of a, a fun thing, but a, a bit of a story. So it might be a hunting story, or you know, the, the story about getting rid of the registry. Something you can share with my listeners. You know, the, that would you know excite them because we always like to finish off with a story. So tell us a story for my listeners. They always love a good story. Well, I, I told you the story already about uh, my meeting in small town of Priestville when it was minus 39 yes. outside. But I think uh, something that brought me to tears much, much later happened three years ago when the gun registry was abolished. That was a huge event in my life. I was told to give it up and it would never happen. And the thanks I received from across Canada was overwhelming. And it was humbling because all I was doing was my job. But it was like payday after 17 years of battle. And uh, so that that really was a, a big event in my life. Uh, I... I uh, I, I even get tears just thinking about it again. I, I was elected against all odds in this constituency, and that too was really something. And once I was elected, I thought, what in the wide world am I going to do now, you know? <laughs> but um, I said a few prayers, and uh, I, uh, I gradually picked up this issue of the firearms, uh, and I had never, ever planned on it. I, I, uh, you know, to this day, I'm still surprised that it has become such a major issue. It's got governments elected in Canada. In fact, I think another really key event was when we formed government, because the Liberals, which is the center-left party, the Justice Minister, 
just about a year ago said we lost 60 seats on the firearms issue and they had done the research so it shows you that it can become a very big issue and so that too was humbling that uh, you know um, we are in government in part because of the firearms issue excellent gary we have a little bit of a fun segment just to finish off it's called it's, it's a very fun one uh, called five questions uh in under a minute i'm gonna i've just changed up a few questions while i'm here just chatting to you they're pretty easy but they're going to be fun so do you think you can ch- take the uh, challenge <laughs> now, how to get in trouble in a big way yeah i'll take the challenge all right in three two one go okay in five words or less describe what a politician means to you being a politician means to you very rewarding and uh, a, a public service yep the biggest number one benefit of getting rid of the firearms registry what was it and why more freedom for firearms owners and less and less uh, tax money wasted. Okay, favorite species to hunt of all time or game species in Canada? What is it and why? Whitetail, because they are very difficult to find. Uh, they're very leery to ever come out in the open. Okay, if you could hunt anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Africa. I would uh, love to uh, hunt some of the big game animals in Africa. And you've already answered this one, I think, but favorite piece of hunting equipment of all time you own? What is it and why? 270 rifle because it's so versatile and uh, it doesn't damage the animal that much. Ah. I, I hunt for meat. I hunt for meat. <laughs> ah, one minute and seven seconds, uh, Gary. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> no, so that's what I. When I first started doing the questions, Gary, I found I. Th- some people were going to three or four minutes, and I said, maybe I should change these to five questions in under um, five minutes, but then I kept it going, and then the last, say, 10 or shows I've done, they've all gotten the 58, 59 seconds, so that's okay. Oh. Hopefully sometime in the future we can do another another show sometime down the track, and you can, you know, double double the efforts, Gary, double the efforts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Okay. <laughs> um, to, to, to finish off, Gary, any any last bit of you know words and wisdom that you'd be able to uh, give our gun owners, um, especially on registration or anything in general, just before we finish off, one last piece of advice? Well, I really thank the gun owners, especially the Shooters Union, for hosting me in Australia. It was a wonderful time there, and I really thank them so much. And I'd like to see more people uh, join Shooters Union and some of the other groups there. And uh, really, uh, the more that join, you can actually have fun in politics and and be really motivated uh, by getting together with other people that are like-minded. I I, uh, think the best advice I could give is to just do not be apathetical. Just get involved, and you can make a difference, even if you think you can't. Thanks. All right. So good stuff. Gary Breitkreutz is a Canadian MP for the Yorkton Melville area in the province of Saskatchewan. So Gary, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jason. You've just been educated and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.